In our haste and excitement to get the next conversation started, I completely neglected to have the guest introduce themselves. So, welcome to another episode of The Road to High Five. In this episode, I will be speaking to another one of our trainers, Lisa Hunt. So the next thing you'll hear will be the two of us having a conversation in my car. a great way to start when no, your host saying this is gonna be this is gonna be the worst, worst. if we've got to this point they're listening yeah. this far in the season it's really the ace of spades <laughs> that's really the ace of spades <laughs> all right i'm gonna ask you i'm gonna ask you just a question just to get you in the right frame of mind okay okay here it is what do you think of garden gnomes oh ridiculous ridiculous Real- seriously <laughs> Sorry. Are you saying the question's ridiculous? Or the garden gnomes are ridiculous? The garden gnomes. Yeah, what? Are just, ever since that movie came out, Romeo and Juliet, which I did not see, but I had to suffer through the trailer. Oh, it's not a good movie. I feel like they're just nuisances. In where I used to work, there is, I believe, it's the second largest garden gnome in all the world. In New York? Yeah, in New York. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's probably about ten foot, ten foot tall garden gnome, maybe even more, maybe even higher. I you feel like that's an oxymoron, though. A ten foot gnome, yeah. aren't no, isn't like part of the definition of gnome something that's small? I don't know. Maybe, I don't know, you know if that's true. I think it's a fiction. Like, I think it's ten su- feet. It's you a are garden such giant. a gnome. If you tell, like, you're really gnome, right? Now. You're really short. You're, a, you're a gnome. I've never heard anyone call someone a gnome. But I've just never seen... I've, a little nerd. They scare me, I guess, garden gnomes. They scare me too. Kind of like ducks. There I was, guess we'll get to that. There was a... I'm scared of uh, dolls. I think you know this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there was a street when it was like walking to school and there was a, there was a doll right in the in the shop window. It was all like an antique store. Scared me Did so it have, bad. Like, like a... Um, it was... Like a china yeah. like head. And the, like the movable eyeballs. Mm-hmm. Now, I know normal eyeballs move, but in a doll. Yeah. You you brought all those dolls in, and it was probably... But none of those were, like, It's probably closest to my deepest nightmare. Mm-hmm. And I'm fine. I don't worry about it. I just have those... I just have night terrors. <laughs> <laughs> I'm now, afraid of birds that walk. What? So if you saw a bird that was walking on the floor, that would petrify I mean, like... Hold on. Yeah. I mean, like, a bird that... Like normally would walk as its mode of travel, it like can fly, but doesn't always like a goose. I mean, I know geese <laughs> cut. No, or like, you don't get to cut it. Or ducks or penguin. I'm not afraid of penguins, but swans. Oh, nothing. Oh, oh, swans, swans are like beautiful, majestic, and they're evil. They'll eat your children. And they're owned by the queen, or at least all the ones in England. Like you can't harm a harm a swan in England because they're owned by the queen. I think if you shifted your, your horse duck question into horse versus swan, I think you would get a whole different answer set. I know, you just get all horses. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like... Well, you'd have to bring the question back to Chris. Yeah, well... Do the swans have hollow bones? Do they have... Are they flammable? Are they flammable? Okay. Um, 
Okay, now we're now we're real. We've we've what we've done is we've broken the ice. Oh, there was a lot of ice before. <laughs> All right, now we can go on to the real meat of the questions. Um, Lisa Hunt, why? No. <laughs> well, <was> no. Nineteen seventy-one. <laughs> no. Um, so, adventure education for you, Lisa. Where did it start? Was it uh, a, a kid's thing, or did you not experience it to adulthood? Where was it for you? Uh, my first experience at, as like a young person with have being facilitated in this realm was at summer camp, sleepaway camp in Vermont. I was twelve years old and um, was preparing to go on a big hike, and what I remember about it so clearly every time I've told the story it's like the memories just keep piling on Mm -hmm. is it wasn't just about the expedition that our counselor made it about the process for the group and Mm -hmm. how we were going to support each other and how we were going to share the work in the community of setting up camp and that's the part that got me I think I was more hooked into the group process than I was into the sort of outdoor adventure piece but I didn't know that they could be separated I always thought it was one package for a very long time. Was all of the stuff out, outside, though? Right. Was it an outdoor experience? Or was, like, you were saying this, like, stuff in the cabins, that you had good conversations in the cabins and stuff in the dining halls? Right. Well, the norms and stuff that we created were all for trips. And oh, so okay. at that age, and, like, the initiatives, we were sort of pretending, like, we're trying to cross this river, and, you know, that was, like, the nitro swing, but we were really going to have to cross a river on our hiking trip. So mm-hmm. I developed a sense that, experiential learning and adventure were all about expeditions and being outside mm-hmm. um, at the beginning. And that and that experience for you made you think like, oh, I want to do this as a job? Or was it just like you were able to come back to that later or that was the experience? I definitely caught that bug. Oh. Like I remember that summer talking to my counselor, who was T.A. Loeffler. She's someone who has received the Kern Hatton Award at AE just last year, I think. Yeah. She's gone on to have, you know, a huge career herself as a professor and, and leader in outdoor education. But at the time, she kind of explained to me where she got her start and some of the books that she'd read. And I still, though, in my own experience, thought that adventure meant outdoors. Mm. And so, but I also because my summer camp experience was so separate from my rest of the year experience that I kind of thought, well, this is going to be my summer thing and then I'll be serious the rest of the year, you know? (laughs) And so it wasn't until after I got my degree in anthropology that I really thought, wait, like, what if this is really going to be a career? I didn't give myself permission to look at those worlds merging until my mid-20s. It's funny that when I worked at Outdoor Ed, because it was like hosted at a summer camp, there was that notion of, like, you'd get kids and even some of the teachers from the schools that would bring the groups not realising that that was my real job. Right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> like, they would be like, okay, so what do you do when you're not doing this? Like, what, what do you do for a living? Right. <laughs> like, oh, I am doing this. And trying to, like, seem, like, justifiable, that it's, it's real. It's funny. I was doing a training last week. I think I shared with you that one of the questions I asked the participants was, what's something that you used to believe that you don't believe now? Mm-hmm. And I think in my early like career and sort of realizing that I wanted to pursue adventure education as a career, I used to believe that you had to come, you had to have an understanding of the outdoorsy or be outdoorsy or 
to really get that. And I don't, I don't think that's true at all. I think you don't have to have any experience in the outdoors to be a good experiential learning facilitator or use experiential modalities. It is the, the piece that the, this is like a bit of a pseudo-education. And we have a lot of education in the classroom, or adventure in the classroom, yeah. education in the classroom, adventure in the classroom models now. But I, I agree, most people, if you ask everyone here, and I've done a, a bunch of these interviews, most people started at summer camp. Right. Like had their first experience of doing this at summer camp or doing outdoor trips with their schools. Right. Like because for some reason that is the area that has the capacity to be able to use this model in an effective way. Right. Because of curriculum in schools and other pro- programs, there's just they don't seem to have the flexibility for it. And we're starting to introduce that notion that it doesn't have to be this big thing you can do in a small window. But it's interesting how, like, I, yeah, we yeah. experience it all outside at summer camps or outdoor ed. And I wonder if, you know, at a certain time, I don't think this is true anymore to the extent it was, but that, like, the outdoor adventure, you know, nature's classroomy kind of trips where that was a thing that was novel. And so mm. then it got intertwined with, well, adventure is novel, so it's all one yep. thing. Yeah. And then experiential learning, and how does that all get teased out? So I, I have no regret for the fact that I started summer camp. I mean, I wouldn't be sitting in this car talking to you if I hadn't had all of those years at Farming Wilderness to have amazing mentors and then be able to sort of practice my leadership in this really supportive environment. And it's just interesting now thinking about, like, the people we meet and yeah. that we imagine that we want to help mentor and foster. I do think that there's still that idea out there that if, you, if you're if you an outdoor educator, you're going to be a natural adventure experiential learning facilitator. And I think that in some degrees that's true, but it's like how do you find other people who have yeah. different backgrounds in chemistry or social justice or anthropology or, you know, who are interested in other ways of teaching? I was having a conversation when we were both, so we were recently at the spring Mayford and I was speaking to Nate Folan and we were having this sort of discussion that the industry, we're very like, um, we've got this sort of a bubble around us. We didn't realize how many other people out there actually do the same sort of work as us, but just in different fields, different, like, like experiential education is pretty, pretty like easily identifiable to other people's work. Like I was having a good conversation right. with, uh, uh, so in Brattleboro we have NECA, which is the New England Circus, mm, Circus something arts. Center for Circus Center, Arts. Yeah. yeah. Um, and speaking to the, the, the owner there, and they were doing, they do the sort of same, they do experiential learning. They just right. wouldn't define it in the same way. But if we have discussions around it, we find out they have it. I was at a conference um, in California, that there was people from the Northeast never heard of the Association of Experiential Education, right. even though what they did was essentially experiential education. But they they would have done it in more urban settings, right. more city based settings, right. and they wouldn't have considered taking groups to the outside. Right. Like I was fortunate, I worked in New York City's YMCA's, and they would bring students from the city to the outdoors. But that was much more centered around the sciences of the outdoors. But there was always that adventurous component. But there's a lot of stuff that does that inside yep. and in cities. Yep. And we should be better at maybe reaching out to those people. I think so. I mean, it's an interesting question to sort of think, like, okay, if I hadn't found the work that we do mm-hmm. through what I learned at Farm and Wilderness and through my mentorship with TA and 
like and if I sort of had this like born to do this kind of work interest, mm. would I have found it if I had gone on to pursue anthropology, <laughs> which is what I thought I was going to do? I wanted to be a map maker. I wanted to go to places that had never been mapped and yeah. like make a map. I mean, what's not experiential about that? But I, I know, think it's. Yeah. But I think the piece is it's the it's the group work. Mm-hmm. It's the facilitating group experience, and then of course you and I have this in common that. We love the challenge course as a tool. And yeah. I think that does often get people get that experience for the first time in an outdoor ed environment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we certainly, in terms of most areas and most sort of fields, we probably have the coolest tool, like to use experiential okay. ed in. Uh, yeah. You know, like we do have a, in this giant visual playground of tools to be able to use, right. um, which others don't. But I, I, yeah, I know that there's loads of people out there that do the same thing as us, just don't do it in the same s- specific way as right. us. Right. So yeah. from from summer camp, where did you go from there? Straight into a career, like straight into something else? You had a degree in anthropology. Yep. Well, I was a builder for one day. <laughs> I yeah. really, really, really wanted to work for a vendor, and I, and I, and after I, well, I went back to school for one year after I got my BA in anthropology, and I went to the outdoor leadership program mm-hmm. at Greenfield Community College, and that gave me a lot of technical skill, and it was almost like a whittling away of okay, I thought I was going to be like this wilderness expedition person, mm-hmm. and. I enjoyed the trips, but I really loved the facility-based stuff, the challenge course, the field work. And from there, I really just wanted to work at Project Adventure. This was 1996, and at the time, mm-hmm. that was the mothership. Yeah. And the only job available was in the building department. Wow. And I had an interview. I wore a suit. <laughs> I mean, yeah. this was like, oh, my gosh. And I was sent on the road as a, like as a working interview and yeah. I lasted one day. This could be a whole nother podcast. It was just really hard work. It, yeah. it was just like, and it was great that I did it because I realized quickly that it wasn't about working for my dream company. It was about working with people and that there were different ways to find that. And mm-hmm. it wasn't long after that, that I got an opportunity to sort of apprentice at a corporate like team building place with Trish McCarthy. Mm. And that experience um, helped me get to, PA Vermont here with Jim. So you've been in you've been in the adventure ed field for a long time. In terms of you, you did it as a kid all the way through. It's been a big part of your life now. Um, where do you see adventure the industry going? Do you see like where do you see the next 10, 15 years? And not necessarily for high five, but where do you see it in terms of the entire industry? Because it's changed in the last twenty years. Yeah, that's a big question. I mean, it's hard to. It's hard to separate where I see the industry going from like where I want things to go. Oh, Hopefully yeah, there's yeah. some congruency, but yeah. I feel kind of like what we were talking about with Tinker Talk, how the more you know, the more there is to remember. Mm-hmm. I almost feel like the more s- tools we have available to reach people, whether it's the challenge course or all these great props or these expeditions, the less we actually need. Like I, I yeah. feel like yeah. I see this simplification and I see that in EOL and sitting down for snack time and being like, wow, this is high quality programming right now. People mm-hmm. talking about the morning or, you know, what do people pack for lunch? And 
that simplicity almost is having that same novelty for some people that maybe one time a zip wire had. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of cool to think about the growth as not being linear, but being circular. Maybe there's things that are that go in cycles. Yeah. I don't see a horizon that includes new things or new technology or new, like a shedding. Um, And maybe this is my hope, but I think I also kind of going back to the whole summer camp thing. I also want, I want our identity collectively as facilitators and Mm -hmm. educators to be, if people are interested in having a job like we have, Mm -hmm. I want people to be able to see how they can get that. Yeah. yeah. And not feel like they had to have directed a summer camp program or had their wilderness EMT yeah. or whatever that I there's so many different avenues to quality facilitation yeah, that are t- unexplored yeah. or, or maybe just even of my own bias or own small worldness unknown to me. Yeah, I, I I feel sometimes guilty to when students ask how they get into this field. Right. Partly because I don't the route that I took to get here is, I don't think is replicable to them. Right. You know, I, I came in without any degree in this industry. So I always feel a little bad because, right. but then I don't because it's an exper- it's experiential ed and I got here because I had a lot of experience. So it's like a, I don't know, it's, know, it's I, tough. I, it's I, tough to try to, and also there are, you know, the reality is there aren't that many jobs out doing this stuff. Right. And, there was someone asked recently called me um, a guy who came to um, an, an adventure basics um, and he works at UMass and was asking me to do a careers day thing at UMass coming up and partly the schedule didn't work out but then I also said to him I don't know like it's it would be an odd thing for us to have a careers day because we don't do internships right. and then the thing I would tell all the students is go out there and work at a summer camp we'll get experience so it's I mean it does work it, yeah it, I mean, I was just thinking about both of our paths here, and I think we both sort of have that, what we would call, or identifying in this conversation, the traditional camp route. But what we also have is the ability to maintain relationships. Mm-hmm. Like, and I, and I wonder if we're, we're undervaluing the importance that that's taken. Like, mm-hmm. like, when you came to the YMCA, you still have connections to those people, and they've been important in your career. And if yeah. I didn't have that long-term relationship with Jim... I don't know if I would be still here at High Five. So that ability to sort of have long, long-standing professional relationships and work on those connections, they don't just stay. You have to foster them, you know. I think that that's... There's, I, a, there's, pa- there's, there's patience that's required. Yeah. And I don't know, and that's a hard thing to just say, like just be patient. Because I, I the, the agree the connection thing is important because I had, and they also had a good connection early on in my career with Chris Ortiz, which right. resulted in me getting hired. But it was seven years later that right. I got hired. So it's like, am I telling people wait seven years? It's it's a uh, some stuff comes faster, but it's very it's very tough to try to explain to students coming straight out of college. It is. I mean, one thing that that a mentor of mine used to say is. Whatever you're doing in the adventure world, define it as a professional practice. And I think that definition between that line between recreation and professional mm-hmm. and I sh- is important. I share that all the time with young people in workshops is don't rely on your employer to give you all your education. Yep. You know, subscribe to a journal, spend 20 bucks on a book. If you can attend a webinar, get books from the library so that you can 
be challenging yourself to think about what different th- different practices mean to you. And yeah. I mean, that's a clear, you know, we see that with challenge course skills all the time. If you've worked on the same course for 10 years, yeah. you could be super experienced and you go to work somewhere else. It's like, whoa, I don't know nearly as much as I thought I did. Oh, it's, it's, it's kind of, it's shocking because the, I, I, it's the same when I was at Greenkill, I used to think that, you know, I'm challenge course coordinator you know, I, I've written the LOPs for this right. course. You know, I, I feel pretty right. expert at this. And then right. I come to an Adventure Basics and a Beyond Basics and I'm like eyes opened. And when I started here, my first year, I went to all these different camps built by different vendors right. and these courses built by different vendors. And I was shocked. And it was like, oh, OK, right. I clearly didn't know what I didn't know. Right. So it's like, how, how do you explain that um, as well? Well, it's, and not to be repetitive to the Tinker talk, but like there's also just this like there's this unknowable mm-hmm. thing. Like you and I have both met people in workshops where you're like, wow, you've got something. Yeah. And it's such a blessing and a privilege to be in a place where you can say, you know what? I think you should pursue this. Would you consider that? And, you know, my friend who I met at the AB in July who presented at the mm-hmm. symposium, she's not an outdoorsy person. She just has this thing that I feel like yeah. is a gift. And you've met people like that too. Yeah. And it's just, that's, it's, it's yeah. fun to be able to look outside. And that's a, it's a, that's a pr- privilege of working for a professional vendor and having the job we have is that we can give people these little platforms. And I think that's, uh, that, that really like, cre- that is the thing right there. You've or, like uh, that. Okay. We're pers- done? Yeah. That was <laughs> <laughs> We've answered all the problems. We have solved all problems. Winning. Students, if you, anyone, listen to this next piece. This is it. <laughs> um, but no, you just need someone, somebody else other than yourself, to help fan the flames of you to say that you have what it takes. I I, it's true. And I think sometimes I forget because I still think of myself, you know, I'm always a learner and there are people always who are more experienced than me. And I think any of us here and probably folks who are listening to the podcast are in a position to just, you know, share that light with somebody else. And yeah, for me, it was the director of the actual leadership program at the time, Kate Douglas, who said to me when I was a student, she said, I can see why you're focusing on facilitation. Mm. And at the time, I wasn't sure if she meant like, because you need to grow a lot (laughs) or because you love it. And it doesn't matter. I just, she noticed that I was interested and that was enough. And then when High Five was starting and I was staying at PA, Carl said, I hope that you stay in this field a long time. And I think that it's this myth that it needs to be this like mythical, Carl Ronke type figure. I mean, it helped me as a new person to be like, well, if Carl sees that, then. But, yeah. but, but telling people those things is important. And then I think being that person is important. I read this article called The Feedback Fallacy. I can't remember the, remember the author? No. But he, he was saying something like, what, what's more important than specific feedback, like all those models, like SMART or yeah. that's goals, but specific, timely, all that stuff. What's more important is if you see somebody doing something great, name it in that moment. Even if yeah. you can't describe it, be like, that was awesome. Mm-hmm. You know, like. Yeah, no, those things are, they mean a lot. They do. Awesome. Let's, uh, we're going to change the, the... Is this where I win? Yeah, you've, this is where you're going to win. Okay. This is now the competition end okay. of the conversation. You're a new addition to the crayon box. Wait, I, I thought you were going to say new addition. What? Like, I love that band. Sorry. I'm a new addition to... You're the- a new addition to the crayon box. What colour would you be? 
I would be uh, like magenta what with little. What color f- is magenta? Purple. I would magenta is magenta, and <laughs> there's no. It's not purple. It's magenta, okay, and I would right. have little flecks of silver. I I recently got for for English Mother's Day, which is a different date than U.S. Mother's Day, which is always good to know for me because otherwise I'll make a mistake. But I sent my mom blue a magenta crayon, no with silver flecks. <laughs> exactly because I thought what better gift? No, I sent her flowers, and uh, there were blue dendrobiums. That's not a thing. And I honestly, if you when I show oh, you oh, these, Jamie, we're recording. <laughs> Come on in. I know you're recording. I figured you need a cameo appearance or oh, something. Oh, you've already, We've already appeared. appeared oh, because okay. you're ju- we, you're we loading. We were being shot at by the builders. Just going, clang, 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 and it's always been in the most serious moments. Anyway, we'll continue as if it's a, if it's not a blue okay. dendronium. No dendrobium, and it's like a, oh, I could show you a sorry, picture. That's so different. I could show you a picture. Dendrobium. But the problem with a picture is listeners don't see it. But they could Google it. So okay, what's next. the point about... So if you're dual citizenship and you're English and you're American, you celebrate two Mother's Days? No. I'm not I'm not a dual citizen. But even if I I'm was, I wouldn't have you. to be... Oh, Ella? A person mm. who was a mother who was both English and American gets two different Mother's Days? Yeah, they're different dates, so... Only if um, you're in that country. Yeah, I think it's a country. I think it's a country thing. So if you're in this country for the first Mother's Day, that's fine. Then you I'm go not, to. The- I'm not sure though. If, if my mom moved to the U.S., would I celebrate U.S. Tangent Mother's Day? Alert. I think actually I possibly could. All right. Oh, I'm good at doing tangents. Tangents, yeah. Jamie. Tan- okay, great. Um, I'm only here for like two more minutes. Okay, Jamie. I'm going to ask you a real quick question. What are you hiding here. from? Yeah. Huh? Who are you, are you hiding, hiding from? from? The computer right now. Okay, um, great. I just need to get packed for next week <laughs> for myself and Dave. We're busy, busy, busy. Yeah, I know. It's crazy. Busy, busy. Here. Okay, let me ask you a question, Jamie. Okay. What do you think of garden gnomes? Oh, I love them. I have like 15 of them around my <gasps> house. the eject button? Oh you guys don't like them? <laughs> oh! Don't listen to the start of this podcast. I probably, I probably have six in my garden. No, you don't. And then I have this is probably not another... Right now. I have another eight or ten around my house that it's I think true. are too nice to put outside. Where's that, where's that nightmare music? I'm calling Amber Halloween right music. Bah, bah, bah. I, I, do, I do agree. There are some that look like weird. I, I was, feel like my garden gnomes are like happy and jovial. The weirdest one is my mom bought me the Travelocity gnome, but... I have a Boston Bruins gnome. I have a gnome sitting on a toilet that someone bought me for the bathroom. That looks pretty awesome. This is terrible. Uh, I have a... This podcast is a nightmare. This is a nightmare. Oh, yeah? (laughs) Are we going way off? (laughs) No, it's just... I asked Lisa that question at the start, and she hates gnomes. Don't come to my house, then. I don't feel I was, like I feel, I feel like this like is questionable. I was saying back near where I used to work, there was the second largest garden gnome in the world. Doesn't oh, gnome, yeah. Does it driven, gnome driven mean, no, I've driven right past it. Yeah. It's down uh, by Saunderskill. Yep. Oh, yep. I'm out of here. Okay. No. All it's right. huge. We're carrying on. With, maybe I cut this. Maybe I don't think you can. Okay. I, no, no. I, hold on. I mean, you went hold down this road. Doesn't gnome imply something small in size? How can you have a I big gnome? I don't think it does. I don't think it does. I don't think... I've never called a short person a gnome. But that's... You're not generally... That's like an insult. You don't insult people. I'm always insulting the small. (laughs) (laughs) No. no, no. Is that why you insult me? What? Uh, Okay, Okay, great. No, no. Wouldn't you say like a gnome-sized plant is a small plant? 
or gnome-sized, that traffic cone gnome-sized. It is a bit of a gnome-sized, because it looks like know. a gnome's hat. I don't think I would... I would. I don't know, I think a gnome is a mythical creature, like a like an elf. Yeah, they, protect, they protect your garden. Or a goblin. Or an orc. Or a, a unicorn. Wait, what orc? was the one before? Unicorn? Orc. You don't know what orc is? Lord of the Rings. Or a... I feel like I'm in a nightmare right now. <laughs> is, I mean, I feel this, like we're all going this delirious. Like your, uh, personal this is her personal yeah. episode. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I will leave now. <laughs> I, just, I thought you had already done that, so I sat... Oh, we I was did. Like, no, no, we did. But we had to scrap it because it was, it, it was so good, it made everybody else's look better. No, I was picking up AM radio and it was getting, like, church hymns in the background. Like, because oh! I, there were too many bleeps here. <laughs> Yeah, I couldn't. There was nothing salvageable no. from the just expletives coming out of her mouth. <laughs> too many. Just too the, many f bombs. Too yeah. many. It's hot in here. No, I know. No we're trying to end this podcast episode. Get the hell out! Ah, I'm not distracting you, am I? <laughs> Keep the door open. Okay. <laughs> Goodbye. Jamie's a gnome. Oh man, what a gnome! I'm calling Amber. Um, what a gnome! He's not okay. He's Look not. At Look at him. He's now standing at the window. <laughs> But your windshield washer's on. Yeah. Oh, it's the, the, the car's not on. Hang on one second. Oh, <laughs> that didn't do anything good. Damn. What a mess. <laughs> this episode is such a d- disaster. All right, anyway. <laughs> I think I, it's not meant to be for me. No, it's happening. It, I, all of that gets cut, or if I like it, it stays. <laughs> okay. You know, there's a running trend whenever I say, okay, I'm going to cut that. I've left them in. <laughs> so, Okay, we'll keep going. We got to do the we got to do the staple ones, otherwise they're not in. So, would you rather fight a hundred horses the size of a duck or one duck the size of a horse? I would defer you to the podcast of my brilliant friend Anne Louise Wagner mm. and say that there's no answer I could give more brilliant than that. It's because of the order of the question. She answered that question right after she was talking about some of her sort of like innate gifts or that's the way I heard the conversation so it was like I'm not saying I had the same gifts as her but it's the idea of like of course you could use your skills to manage that behavior it's like I'm not saying I could I would want what Anne Louise has to make that happen but I think that's the part of the question right you like you think of the question then you also have to think about yourself like how are you you're in that environment and like so for me it's like I run or I like, I, I try to befriend too because I have no fight skill. Whereas I think that other people use their own internal skills in, well, in an odd way sometimes, but the answer Really? Are, like lighting on fire? Yeah, that's what I mean. I mean, I think that I've always said I'm terrified of ducks. So no matter what, yeah. I want 100 horses. But after listening to all the thoughtful responses, first of all, I, I do stand by my, like, whatever Anne Louise says, mm-hmm. is, I agree with. Or I, I, not like it's a right or wrong, but I would want that answer for myself. But I also feel like one of something is going to be easier than a hundred of something. We're going to do this last one because we're already at 45 minutes. Well, half of that was Jamie. Not half, I was... Intruding. Yes, you're right. This is, this is the question to end on. What was a job you would like me to have? I don't want you to have a job that's different. That would be really sad for me. Mm-hmm. And I also think you would be miserable if you had to work anywhere without me. So I, that's me looking that's, out for you. Yeah, oh, I but appreciate I, that. But I do what a feel, friend. But I do feel... 
But I, but I have, you know, hearing you talk about Ella and hearing you talk about some of the, you know, parenting situations you've been in with other families, I feel like you have something to offer other dads through your experience as a facilitator and as a dad of like, I can see you helping parents feel more comfortable with play and like taking your passion for parenting and what you do as an, as a professional and like combining those things. It's funny. I often say, and I mentioned this to Danny, that sometimes I feel like I'm just the goofball. Like I'm just the, the, the entertainment sometimes. Cause yeah. she, and it's, it is, I'm, I'm assuming this isn't, the other people experience this, but every time there's something that like is she hurts herself or something, she runs to mama right? and mama does all the serious stuff. Right. And I know that Danny would also like to rather do the goofball stuff at times. Right. So it's both ways, but it's, yeah, I don't know. Well, well, yeah. I mean, I, and I don't see you as a goofball dad, but I think that there's a lot of folks who want to feel more playful with their kids. They just, they don't know mm-hmm. how to start or what to like, if they've never identified as a playful person yeah. and they want to bring that side out, I don't think you have to be playful as a no. parent, but what if you wanted to be, but you didn't know how to start? Like, what are some ways I can totally see you running a workshop for parents or maybe just dads and like how to... It is interesting how, like, I go to um, family events and I'm always the one who's playing with the kids. Yeah. And you think like, come on, some of these adult, other adults, like... I've never had the right... I've always sat at the kids' tables anyway. Right. I don't think oh, I'm going to graduate from the kids' table. Mm-hmm. Partly because the adult table is so boring. Right. <laughs> but I think there's something like... People just go to those... And they're like so relieved to hand their kids off. Yeah. I don't feel that as much. Yeah. There's something to teach people there maybe. Yeah. Cool. All right. Um, what a wonderful and, and learned experience this has been. <laughs> Thank you, Phil. <laughs> it was fun. Okay, goodbye. I hope I passed. You have passed. This okay. one, I'm going to give you an A. Okay. Okay, goodbye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. And do it again. Thanks for listening. And can you say, uh, thanks for listening to High Five. Thanks for listening to High Five. <laughs> and then what about... Thanks for listening to High Five's podcast. Can you do it? Okay, try. Thanks for getting it. I think guy. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Please rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. It really does help us out a whole lot. And next time on the road to High Five. There were six of us when we started High Five. It was there was never five of us. Uh, <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> people always say, "Oh, that's why it was High Five. <laughs>